Well, Raf did say we, we all make mistakes and just made one then. And it won't be the last, I can guarantee you that. <clears throat> I just got a bit lost of where we're at and I'm like, oh, that's, I'm, not, I'm not seeing that, but thanks, Ken. Uh, I don't have the, sorry, the thing I should have checked. Thank you, Dev. Well, most weeks uh, last year in Isaiah, and this is the first one back, and there's about nine or ten or so to go this year. And most times that I got to speak, I, I sort of shared this uh, this phrase and this theme through Isaiah of uh, of God to His people: Where would you place your trust? Where would you place your trust? Will it be in the wealth and wisdom of your of, of, of your own nation? Will it be in the nations around you and their resources? Or will you trust your God? Where will you place your trust, Israel? And this book is as relevant for us today. And I, and I think it's it's so relevant for us today because of that question that keeps coming up, because of that theme. Where do you place your trust when life is hard, when life is good, when things are going well, when you turn a corner in life and things aren't so good and there's a difficult time? Where will you place your trust? Where will you go to for comfort, for peace, for strength, for endurance? As I said, it's been a number of weeks now since we've been in Isaiah. In the back half of last year, we we worked through Isaiah 40 to, to 53. Uh, it's a bit like a, a climb up the hill. And, and as we were climbing up the hill, for, for want of a better word, there was this auditioning for the servant of God. Who is this identity of this servant that is spoken about? Is it Israel? Is it the nation of Israel? Are they the servant of God that is being spoken about here, where we know they weren't the true faithful servant spoken about. Was it Cyrus of Assyria, the king, who led the, who, who, who would lead the Israelite nation out of captivity? Is he the true servant of God? No. It's Jesus. We walk through those, if you remember, the four servant songs. And, and what's spread out in those servant songs is this nature and the, the character of the faithful and obedient servant. And at the pinnacle of this mountain is Isaiah 53. The fourth of these servant songs where it's profoundly speaking of Jesus. And we just heard about that in our communion time. Faithful, obedient servant who brings freedom, who rescues humanity, who pays the price for our sin. 
And after reading about the, the faithful, obedient servant Jesus, we, we find hope in chapter 54 and 55. Hope in being free people again. That was what was true for Israel. Hope for salvation through the Messiah. Hope for the, the blessings again of God's promises to his people. I was talking with uh, a couple during the week about about hope and we were talking a bit about how do people who don't have faith in God, how, how do they manage to get through really difficult times in life when there doesn't seem to be really any hope, so much uncertainty? If you go back down from the this mountain top of Isaiah 53 and we go back a little bit into the valley where this hopeless situation the people of God were in and it's described there in verse 1 they weren't enjoying the, the blessings and the promises of God in this analogy of of Israel being the, the bride of, of God and God being the, the husband. It says that they are a barren people, unable to bear children. The nation was in exile. They were decreasing. They were desolate. They were lonely, unhappy, bleak. They were unfaithful. They had cheated. They had looked elsewhere for fulfilment. They had gone to the nations for security. They had looked for wisdom and guidance from other sources than God. And here they find themselves cut off from that security and the presence of God and sent into slavery. No longer did they enjoy the, the land that God had promised them and the relationship with their God. And it's a hopeless sort of situation. Yet God intervenes. God intervenes and he makes a way and he is faithful. And so we come to this chapters 54 and 55, which I think are might call like a love letter. And as I thought about that, you know, I, I thought about, uh, Rachel and, and myself when we were younger. We're quite old now. <coughs> um, on Friday night, actually, we were, Mackenzie starts youth group this year. She's in high school. And so the first, uh, event was at Warrandyte, uh, around the river and with Edge Church. Uh, Rach used to be children's pastor at Edge Church uh, a number of years ago, 2008, I think. And Tom McPherson is the leader at um, youth pastor role there at Edge Church at the moment. And he was, I was saying to Ava and Mackenzie, he was uh, taught in kids' church by Rach when she was, by mum when she was, um, uh, when he was younger. And Ava said, is, is mum that old? <laughs> Well, 
to put some context to how old perhaps we are, and I did say I was going to mention this, I think. Uh, back in the day when I used to pick Rachel up from school, we were dating. And uh, that was in the day when uh, Rach McCormick, who you all know, uh, mother of three, was Rachel Minahan, of course. And uh, Tiff and Russell and Kim Rapp were kerchiefs. And uh, we used to all load into the car a number of times at Plenty Valley. And, uh, and, and we used to do the rounds. And that was a long time ago. Now we're, you know, everyone, they're all mums now and married and living the life. <clears throat> that was a while ago. But Rach used to write letters in school. Didn't get a great TER, but has gone on to be quite the academic person now. Uh, Rach used to write letters in school to me. And, uh, and then, uh, and, you know, I used to reciprocate as well. So, and then came the mobile phone. We got mobile phones. This is quite a while ago. And then it turned into text messages. Our love letters turned into love texts. We used to say how, my, how beautiful my eyes were and how beautiful your face was. I won't get into all the details. Uh, but after about 300 text messages, uh, one month, we had to wind back on those because uh, Stuart was paying the bill and uh, and they were 25 cents each back then. Not unlimited. <coughs> Expensive. My dad always talked about the Bible as in a whole as a love letter. God's love letter. And I think in a, what we have here is a smaller version of God's love letter to his people. Here we have a personal response, an emotional message from God to his people. You are welcome back. His promise of a a great nation that goes all the way back to Abraham is still so real. As descendants of Abraham, he said, was as numerous as the dust of the ground. That will become a reality. His promises of restoration is going to be true. The Redeemer will show great compassion. Those who come against you will surrender to you. There will be great peace. His unfailing love will rule. The righteous, the righteous anger of God was temporarily shown to these people. But it will be permanently placed upon Jesus. What amazing promises. What an amazing God. What an amazing saviour. Not only hope for the promises of their life in the, in the circumstances they were in, but also for the future. If you go to Revelation 21, John speaks of some of this very picture that we've just read about, the new Jerusalem, where the walls and the gates and the foundations all made with and covered with precious stones, sparkling jewels, and gems. 
This is a, a far cry from the captivity of Babylon. And it doesn't only give them hope for, for here and now, but a hope to sustain them through the circumstances of life. And these words of hope and comfort, they don't take away the circumstances, but they're there to sustain and help them endure. And it must have melted away the fear and anxiety that they had had to be able to trust that God is faithful. And it's not too different for us today. God's word, our relationship with him, the place that we find ourselves in as believers is not the promise of the perfect rosy life. It just isn't. But to trust him, to know that God is in control, to know that he is there, that his peace is real, that his strength is real, that he has a plan in everything. I want to also look at a a passage this morning in Galatians 4 and want to bring some sort of practical application here from it. And I just want to read these verses before we make a couple of points. Tell me, sorry, Galatians 4.21. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, But his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for, she stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother for it is written and this is taken from Isaiah 40 54 be glad O barren woman who bears no children break forth and cry aloud you who have no labor pains because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise at that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It's the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. It's a bit of a tough passage, I reckon. I just want to bring out a few points from this passage because I think it relates back to where we are looking at in Isaiah. Just a quick sort of summary and overcap is this issue. uh, There's Jews and Gentiles at this church, these churches in Galatia, and there's this issue of the, the Judaizers being talking about being made right by keeping rules, by keeping the law. This idea of self-righteousness, of being made right with God by what you do. 
Of course, Paul's message of the gospel is salvation by faith alone. Believing by faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And in by believing you are made right. Don't have to do anything else. You don't have to pay for anything. Paul says in chapter 2 and 21, if we could achieve righteousness by being amazing human beings and sticking to all these rules, if we could do it, then Jesus died for nothing. And he goes on, don't be foolish. Don't believe that. You receive the spirit, not by your rule following, but by believing. And then Paul goes on to argue his point here and he uses Hagar and Sarah as a picture of the the old and the new covenant. Hagar, you you might remember, is the the mother of Ishmael. And and that was organised and orchestrated by Abraham and Sarah, thinking we can't have kids. We need to fix this problem. Let's get Hagar. They have a son. They thought the promises of God would flow through Hagar, through Ishmael. But that wasn't God's way. God intervened and God made the impossible possible. Sarah gave birth to Isaac and that was God's plan being put in place for his promises, for his people. And in a nutshell, Hagar then represents those who who strive for self-righteousness, who live a, a life according to rules and regulations who want to revel in their own glory, their own good deeds. And through Ishmael comes that line, the lineage of the Arab nations. Yet Sarah represents the Abrahamic covenant, where blessings and salvation flow from the grace and the mercy of God. as it does in her lineage, eventually the people of Israel and then through Jesus. I've got one back there. You see, in this picture, Sarah is is the free woman, the picture that Paul's painting here. And the nation of Israel were in that picture. And in the New Testament context, belonging to Christ puts the Galatian believers, Jew and Gentile, into that picture. And in 2022, we at Monty, believers in Christ, are in that picture. Finding freedom, not in laws, but in Christ. And although in Isaiah the children of Israel were in a a state of slavery, they were in a state of what was hopelessness, of exile and despair, they were fruitless, depleted. They were restored by the grace and the faithfulness of God. And this freedom... And there's many points to talk about when we talk about freedom. But I just want to say in this context this morning, through salvation by faith, 
this freedom is not to say, oh, I'm a believer in Christ. I am, I have freedom to do whatever I want now. Freedom to just say whatever I want. Well, Paul says no in 5.13. You were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. That's not what your freedom's about. Freedom for the Christian is that we aren't slaves to rules. Freedom for the Christian is that we aren't burdened every day. We do this, 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 this. That's going to make God happy. That's going to make your life be amazing. Uh, you'll be Christ-like if you can tick off certain boxes and do things at certain times. We're free from that. Stand firm. Don't let yourselves be burdened by a yoke of slavery. The freedom that we have in Christ is that his promise to us is that that life is actually not about how good you are. It's about surrendering yourself to Jesus. A really well-known verse in Colossians 1 where Paul says, Christ in us, Jesus Christ living in us is our hope, is our hope of glory. Our chance, our hope of living like Christ is being Christ-like is to live by the Spirit that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which Paul then goes on in chapter 5 to mention, would be true in our life. Not because we're achieving it, but because Jesus Christ is doing something through us and in us. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control would be evident in your life. Not because you are a slave to doing things every day to achieve it, but because you have freedom that Christ will do it in you. Well, what does this hope in freedom and what's it going to look like in your life tomorrow? I think prayer and constantly being in prayer is so important. And I suggest to you this morning, and oh, I don't have the perfect formula, and I'm not perfect in doing this. But I suggest it starts with a mindful and deliberate decision every day, just to ask God to help you. I know I've said many times in my own personal time with God, I can't live, I can't live like Jesus. I can't do it. And so I say, Jesus, I give you control of my thoughts. I give you control of my words and my actions. And in that place, 
I believe it's a, a, that's where an attitude of surrendering yourself to God starts. Just by recognition, I can't live this life. I need to surrender myself to Jesus. I need to give you control. I know today I'm going to have to face this person. It's going to be awkward. How am I going to exhibit this fruit in that circumstance? I can't do it. I need to recognise I can't just achieve it. But I know, Lord, if you have control in my mind, I know that I can be loving. I know that I can forgive. I can be patient. I know that this week I'm going to be walking past that shop or that suburb, going through a suburb, going past that place and the temptation is going to be so great. By myself, I know I can't do it. But Lord, I'm here to say I surrender myself to you, my mind, my actions, my words. If I try to do it by myself, I know I'm going to fail. Take control. And I can guarantee you two things. One is that you will not be perfect. You still will fail. But I can also guarantee that there will be many, many more moments of victory for you in your life with an attitude of surrendering yourself to God. I hope that resonates with you, that God can use that to encourage you and help you in your faith journey. Father, we do give you thanks and praise that we can open your word and be um, exposed to your truth and that it shines a light into our hearts and our minds and that through the power of your Holy Spirit you can teach us and challenge us. And I just pray, Lord, that this will be uh, a message that you will use to um, challenge us this week to be a surrendered people, to know that we have freedom in Christ, to know that we have hope, not only for this life in the circumstances we face, but a hope that is for eternity. May it spur us on to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.